Welcome to the Lucatino Show, where we can learn to reimagine our lifestyle. Dr. Isabella, it's a pleasure to have you on our show, Reimagine Your Lifestyle. I've been following your work for years, and I have to tell you this. My understanding of the thyroid gland, what you can do with it, changed when I read your first book. And I think there was a calling to reach out for your first book because a part of me refused to believe when my patients would come up to me and say, hey, Luke, there's nothing we can do for thyroid because doctors have said that you can't reverse this. We need to be on meds for a lifetime. And with my basic knowledge of the endocrine system, I said, let me look out. I'm sure there's someone who's already cracked this. And the universe guided me to your book, which absolutely, you know, I hung on to it. I read chapter after chapter over and over again. And the moment I put that into practice, still date, we've probably treated hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand plus thyroid patients with complete reversals, or if not a complete reversal, from a top medication to the minimum dosage. And it's been phenomenal. We've actually changed the way people think about thyroid, thanks to you and the information that you know your book gave me. So it's a personal thank you for that. And it's been an amazing journey just following your work. So thank you for being here today to share all of your knowledge with us. Oh my gosh, it's a it's an honor and pleasure to be here. And wow, what a gift to heal that to hear that my work has inspired you to heal others. Like that's the best thing I could ever ask for. Absolutely. And Dr. Isabella, I know you've had this beautiful journey from being a pharmacist to you know, research and you've written bestsellers. I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself to our audience. Tell me about your journey. What made you move? I do know because you had the problem and you wanted to figure it out for yourself. You, I read, I read the part of your book where you said there has to be some lifestyle aspect that I can bring into the healing of the thyroid. And that began your journey into the whole thyroid specialty field. I would love for you to take us through your journey. Sure, look, so in full disclosure, I was never interested in the thyroid during pharmacy school. I thought it was very simple. Somebody had an underactive thyroid, they take levothyroxine, and that was the end of the story. And it really wasn't until I was diagnosed myself when I had already been a practicing pharmacist, when I realized that perhaps there might be a little bit more than just that medication to help people. For me, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in my 20s after almost a decade of some debilitating symptoms. I had fatigue, brain fog, allergies, acid reflux, carpal tunnel syndrome. My hair was falling out. I was cold all the time. I was very forgetful. And it felt like every single year, every other month, I was getting new symptoms. So what started as this fatigue that had me sleeping for 12 hours a night and still waking up exhausted turned into panic attacks. And then I started getting carpal tunnel in both arms and acid reflux. And I was like, I'm in my twenties, but my body's falling apart. When I finally got the diagnosis of Hashimoto's and like we were talking about, a lot of doctors don't look at all of the autoimmune markers. So they had tested my thyroid for many years and said, your thyroid is quote unquote normal, but they found these anti-thyroid antibodies that were in the thousand plus range. You you want them under like 35. And finally I was like, okay, great. I have a thyroid condition. I can get on thyroid medications. Being a pharmacist, I was like excited to, you know, get on medications, but they didn't really help. I helped a little bit. So I was a little bit less tired and a little bit less cold, but then I still had all these symptoms and I had this thought in my head, what caused me to develop this condition? I thought I was living a healthy lifestyle. I was eating whole grains. I was exercising. I was eating, you know, I was having all of this dairy, low fat dairy. And yet here I was in my twenties, a healthcare professional diagnosed Mm -hmm. with, with a health issue. And so I started really thinking and researching about what I can do to help myself feel better get rid of those symptoms, perhaps reduce the autoimmune attack on my thyroid gland. And at the time I was working as a consulting pharmacist for people with rare disorders that maybe didn't have the standard of care available to them. So I was spending a lot of time in published medical journals and I was spending a lot of time with um, patient forums and just trying to get an overall picture of what might be helpful. And that's what I did for myself. And I ended up getting myself into remission, getting rid of my symptoms, with um, all that newfound energy, I was like, I need to put this in a book and 
get this out into the world. I'm so happy you wrote that book because I know I have a lot of my patients probably listening into this podcast and other people. So you know why I've asked you to do the ATG and the anti-TPO because a lot of them went to their doctors and they were saying, why are you doing this? Why are you spending so much of money on these tests? And I was like, you, you want to know what you have, what kind of thyroid issue you have. And you know what? You know what, Dr. Isabella, what's fascinating that's also come out. Sometimes the thyroid is fine. The TSH, T3, T4 is fine, but they've got a high T anti-TPO and an ATG. And then you can kind of relate it. All of a sudden, they're telling us symptoms of you know pain in the joints and all of that. We get the RH factor and hey, they have an autoimmune condition. Maybe not thyroid attack yet. But it's just opened up so much of intelligence and the way we looked at, you know, health in a preventive way. So this is the lady who's made me make you do all those tests through her book. And I'm sure all of you are grateful as well. So thank you for sharing that. But doctor, tell me something about when you figured about your ATG and your anti-TPO being on the higher side, it led your research into the leaky gut syndrome as well, where you so beautifully explained it in your book. And that connects with almost every kind of autoimmune condition we see today, whether it's MS, it's systemic lupus, art, you know, arthritis. We just look at the gut and we realize, hey, this just ties in with that beautiful way you described it in your book. I would love for you to break that down and explain to us the leaky gut syndrome in the simplest way possible. So absolutely. And it was very interesting for me to just go through all of the research about thyroid issues and autoimmunity. And the research pointed to three things always being present, the genetic predisposition, some kind of a trigger. Sometimes you can identify what it is. Sometimes you can't. And then intestinal permeability or also known as leaky gut. And the researchers were saying, you need to have these three things for an autoimmune condition to manifest. And so in my thoughts, I was thinking to myself, you can't really change your genes, right? It's maybe there's some advanced technology where we might be able to choose and edit our genes at some point in the future, but not really something readily available. You don't always know what the trigger is. Sometimes it's a virus. Sometimes it's an infection. Sometimes it's a toxin. Sometimes it's a lot of stress. If we can identify it and remove it, that would be great, but we can always work on gut health, right? So if there's a reason, and there are many reasons for the gut to be permeable, if we could find out that reason, then perhaps we can reverse the autoimmunity and stop the autoimmunity from manifesting itself. Now, um, leaky gut sounds kind of odd. And a lot of times with, um, faced in conventional medicine, they will say that it doesn't exist, but then I would scratch my head because when you look at the published medical journals, the scientific term is intestinal permeability, right? And there's so much research supporting that. And very simple is what it is, is our gut barrier is supposed to have, um, prevent the contents of our gut, whether that be food or digestive process items, it's supposed to be kept within our digestive tract. But when we have that leaky gut, that intestinal permeability that can get into our bloodstream and our circulation for various antibodies to start making antigens against foods or against parts of our normal physiological processes. And so this leaky gut essentially confuses our immune system so that we start identifying things that are normally healthy, right? So this could be foods that we're eating or parts of our own cells. The immune system begins to look at them as foreign invaders because all of a sudden they're out of um, where they're supposed to be and they can get into our circulation. And so it becomes a bit of a case of my mistaken identity and autoimmunity where we'll see people with immunity against their own parts of their physiology, as well as the foods that they're eating. And so one beautiful way to really work on health, whenever you have a thyroid condition, autoimmune condition is to really focus on getting that gut wall to be sealed so that you don't have those foods and you don't have those, um, self antigens getting into the bloodstream and the immune system stops being confused. Right. You know, it's fascinating to see how your how the theory of leaky gut also ties in with patients who have gone into remission. 
their autoimmune is in remission. And then all of a sudden they've traveled for a while, lifestyles completely gone off. They started eating the foods that were not suiting them, like certain inflammatory foods, although they may have not been celiac or lactose intolerant, but they know those particular foods causes discomfort. And all of a sudden they have all the flare ups of the autoimmune condition. And then they rework on their gut, they get rid of those foods and they're back into remission again. It's just fascinating to see the connection of that, of the leaky gut with the flare-ups. So you speak a lot about the liver as well. And you always say, you don't just look at the thyroid, you look at the liver, the T3, T4 conversion, all of that. And I know you specify heavily on toxins and removing the burden from the liver. I would love to talk, I would love for you to talk about that and its connection with the overall thyroid functioning. Oh, absolutely. So looking at all of the research, there's a ton of information about environmental toxins and people living in certain proximity to big cities or industrial complexes, they're going to have higher rates of thyroid disorders. And toxins can really interfere with thyroid function. And what happens in a person with Hashimoto's is eventually if they have that intestinal permeability, that leaky gut, then their gut becomes compromised and a lot of the detoxification that happens in the gut then get becomes shunted to something like the liver. And so the liver can become overburdened. And, you know, when we have that in intestinal permeability leaky gut, we're also not absorbing a lot of nutrients from our foods that we're eating. So we can be low in various vitamins, minerals, and amino acids, all of which are very important for the liver to do its job of taking the things we're exposed to, the things we're eating, the naturally produced um, compounds that uh, happen from our metabolism and clearing them out and keeping, keeping a clean slate within our body. And what I've found in a lot of people, they have this liver backlog where their body just hasn't been detoxifying through the gut. A lot of times they're also not sweating. So that's another detoxification pathway. And their liver just becomes overwhelmed. And I, I think about, you know, like a government employee that is just given more and more work and less resources. And the next thing you know, it takes um, six to 12 months to get a passport, right? When it should be <laughs> a, a five, five day process max. And so yeah. what I found is a lot of times people will say, I've tried everything, but nothing is helping or I'll take a vitamin and I feel worse with it. I'm having these hormonal issues. I have um, chemical sensitivities where I walk into certain stores or perfumes and they just overwhelm me and I feel so awful on them. And that gives me usually a sign that person has some degree of a toxic burden. And what we need to do is one, we need to eliminate the sources of exposure if we can. So if you're somebody that's sensitive to perfumes, we're not going to have you put on a lot of perfume for a few weeks, right? We're going to try to minimize what you're putting into your body, but also as important is giving your body the nutrients to support the detoxification process. So think about that government employee. If you can give them a faster computer, maybe an assistant, maybe some coffee, right? They would feel better and they would go through that pile of paperwork a little bit faster. And so we do that with amino acids, some of the B vitamins. We do that with liver and gallbladder support, supplements, nutrients, as well as trying to get the person to sweat. So I love things like a sauna or really getting your body temperature up to start getting rid of the, the toxins through that process. That's awesome. And you talk about, yeah, so you spoke about the liver. I wanted to ask you, you, you use, you use the word detox a lot and I love the word detox, but today, you know, in the whole world of social media, <clears throat> you have a lot of people saying that, Hey, the human body cannot detox. It's not possible for an organ to detox and all of that. But we know we have our own detoxification mechanisms in every organ of the human body. That's how it works and that's how it survives. So what's your take on all this additional information that tends to confuse people today? Detoxification, you have a lot of people saying that you can't detoxify the body. So you need to take this medicine, this pill, or just don't do anything about it. So how do you handle questions like this if you face them? Because I'm sure you do. And 
you know, because it works, you know, I've used a lot of foods that you spoke about in your book to help with liver support, like whether it was the MCTs in a coconut oil, selenium from a Brazil nut, and wow, we, we see the tangible results, we don't feel them, we see them in the reports of the levels coming down. So how would you explain the detoxification mechanisms and your whole take on this whole overload of information? Because I know you research, you're a scientist, you're a pharmacist, you're everything together. I would love for you to talk about that because a lot of people come to our podcast to get that solid information because there's just too much of, you know, unnecessary information and extra information outside on social media. It's it's become very challenging because I know when I was starting off over a decade ago, there was not a lot of information other than the published medical journals. And now it's you're bombarded with information from every angle. And some people are saying you should do a juice fast. You should do a water fast. You should do this kind of thing. You should do that kind of thing. And unfortunately, some of the things can actually be harmful, right? If you are somebody that is, um, has blood sugar issues, too much fasting for you can become a problem unless you've got those blood sugar issues supported. And there could be forceful detoxes like coffee enemas. If somebody doesn't do that correctly, they can hurt themselves, right? And so I really focus on getting the body, supporting the body in a very gentle way. So yes, the body has its own detox pathways. And so let's support them. Let's use the nutrients that the body needs to support detox. And I mean, people will say, we don't need it. Yet alone, yet I feel like a lot of the studies that are done or the, the information that's quoted by quote unquote experts, this is done in healthy 20 year old males. It's not done in women who are struggling with chronic fatigue syndrome. It's not done in women who are struggling with chemical sensitivities. It's not done with women with multiple autoimmune conditions. When I look at the women and men that I work with, I see them struggling and I go through, we do a symptom assessment. We go through a questionnaire that looks at their symptoms and we look at their labs. And I can tell you before and after within two weeks, it does make a really, really big difference. So until there are studies of people, you know, with autoimmunity or with these multiple chemical sensitivities that show their liver works perfectly, don't tell me that, right? Like, let's look at the data and let's look at how people are actually feeling. This is one of my frustrating things about the information on the internet out there. I feel like it's meant to be helpful, but it's so general and so basic and it doesn't consider, right? It, it considers the perfectly healthy 20 year old male. It doesn't consider the people who are struggling with autoimmunity and who maybe. Yeah, I'm doing all the right things. I'm eating fiber. I'm exercising. It's like there, there's a lot more to healing than that. And we need to look at specialized protocols. Yeah, no, I feel your frustration because this information, this wrong information confuses people. And a lot of them who need to take the burden of the liver don't end up doing anything. You know, to they just think that, hey, this is not going to work. So why should I do it? And they just never, ever have their thyroid medication changed because they've not addressed the root cause of the problem. So I absolutely feel your frustration over there. You spoke about coffee, right? And I'm a huge fan of good quality black coffee for the liver. I mean, we've seen countless of, you know, I mean, numbers and numbers of medical and uh, published articles and journals on the function of coffee and the liver. What's your take on coffee for the liver? I think coffee can be fantastic for people if they enjoy it, if they like it, if it's a clean source of coffee. For the time period that we focus on liver support, I will actually have people get off of caffeine just to give their body an opportunity to process that backlog. Um, the caffeine, it does get metabolized by the liver like other things, um, and that can just be additive. So I have people get off of it for those two weeks and then they can reintroduce it back into their lifestyle. It's generally something people can enjoy in moderation, you know, eight cups of coffee a day, my friend, you've got a problem, but if you enjoy your coffee in the morning or a couple of cups throughout the day, that's, and you're doing well with it, then that's something as long as it's clean. And as long as you, um, you know, you can take a, a little bit of a break from it and support your body. I feel like for most people, it can work really well. 
Yeah, sorry about that. Doctor, have you seen the correlation about the excessive consumption of coffee and adrenal fatigue and its correlation with the thyroid gland, especially in women and men who are high-stressed individuals, always anxious and high stress levels. We have seen that. I just wanted to understand your take on that as well, because we dropped the caffeine then and we know cortisol is changing and we, we see a, a better lab report the next month with, of course, other like meditation techniques or mindfulness and deep breathing also being added. Would love your observations on that. Oh my gosh. So absolutely. And I know typically when I was first working with clients, I would say you have adrenal issues. Let's get off the coffee. I remember I had one woman that was drinking six to eight cups of coffee a day. And she said, I have headaches. I'm waking up throughout the night to urinate and I'm tired all day. I can't fall asleep. And I was looking at her food intake and I was like, aha, we've got to get rid of the coffee. I think that's it. And, you know, she got off of the coffee and then she's like, but I'm still tired. I'm still waking up throughout the night and I'm still feeling very anxious. Headaches were a little bit better. And so what I do now is I actually give people some strategies before I have them get off of coffee. So let's say you become dependent on coffee because you have a hard time waking up in the morning, right? And so we want to focus on how do you get, get you awakened in the morning? One thing that's helpful is stepping outside and getting some sunshine first thing in the morning. If you can, that's going to help you wake up. If you, if it's still dark when you need to wake up, there's dawn simulator clocks. There are, um, seasonal effective therapy lamps. These can give you a little bit of input into your eyes to help your brain wake up. This is going to be one strategy to use. Um, you're tired throughout the day, you know, get some more sunshine, maybe and consider doing some adrenal adaptogens, um, working out the root causes of why you feel the need to be so productive. So a lot of times for some people, it really can be very simple where you just cut back on caffeine and you do feel better. You sleep better at night. Maybe you um, shrink your window, you have it a little bit later in the day so you can, your body can produce its morning cortisol naturally. And then you have it, don't have it any later than two or 3 PM. So then when it's time to bed, to go to bed, your body isn't blocking your tiredness response. And so you can actually produce your melatonin. So these are some of the strategies that I work with. I know I, for a while it was just like, just quit it. And then people were very unhappy. And so I, I love that you give them resources as well to figure out how to, you know, you know, if you take away that pacifier, what else are we going to do to help you get through your day? Maybe doing some reishi in the evening is going to help you have a little bit more energy, but it's also going to help you sleep better versus doing some caffeine. Oh, these are great suggestions, doctor. Very, very helpful. You know, just to share, you know, a lot of our clients who were, they wanted to get off coffee, but found it difficult, the withdrawal symptoms. We found for the ones who like matcha tea, it's turned out to be a really good replacement because of the L-theanine, much less than caffeine. So they have a steady kind of a high instead of the up and the down with coffee. We found that to be a nice mechanism to eventually, you know, wean off the coffee over there. You know, so that seems to be working so far. And then, of course, there are some people who just make up their mind and get off the coffee completely. You know, Dr. If I had to ask you, what are three or four of your favorite foods or nutrients that you would use or advise people? I know it's just a general answer, but your favorite foods for the liver and what are your favorite foods and the ones that we know hurt the liver that we should be careful of? I definitely love um, using cruciferous vegetables such as broccoli and even sprouts. Broccoli sprouts are wonderful for helping the liver support pathways. I love utilizing green juices whenever possible for people to utilize that input. Um, that's going to provide a lot of nutrients directly for the body. And I also like to utilize smoothies, especially in the morning for people to kind of a little bit lower that digestive burden. So they're not really dealing with um, a heavy digestive metabolic load. And that gives their bodies an opportunity to take a bit of a break. And so these are probably the three things that I would recommend for most people to utilize. And then anything processed, anything processed food or things that are very difficult to digest for most people, it's going to be gluten, dairy, and soy. They're difficult proteins for the body to break down. That's going to be a burden for your digestive health and for your 
liver's metabolic processes too. So I have people get off of those foods for a few weeks. Um, And then of course, alcohol, which a lot of people, you know, with adrenal issues, they can use that to self-medicate to help themselves feel, fall asleep at night or feel a little bit more relaxed. And that can be a very, um, very problematic thing for our liver pathways as well. So that is another thing that I recommend getting off of. It's not technically a food, but I think it's really worth mentioning. Yeah, no, absolutely. And doctor, in your years of experience right now, what are some of the commonalities that you see in people who have a Hashimoto's? You know, besides the leaky gut, like any lifestyle aspects, any particular commonalities that you see? So there are a lot of, um, I will say the categories that I I would focus on would be food reactions. A lot of them tend to be sensitive to gluten, dairy, and soy. Sometimes getting off of those foods can help people have a complete remission. There's going to be nutrient deficiencies. Selenium is going to be a very common one. Myo-inositol, vitamin D are some of the common nutrients that are depleted. Oftentimes getting these in balance can also help a person get into remission. Then we have infections. H. pylori and blastocystis hominis are some of the common gut ones that I see and getting those under control can be a really, really big game changer for those thyroid antibodies and the symptoms. And then I feel like, um, you know, we talked about the liver. I do see a liver backlog in most people. And then the one component that is, a bit challenging to change, I think, for people is the way that they deal with stress or that stress response. Um, I won't say everybody's like this, but many people, they tend to live high stress lives, or maybe they have a history of trauma in their lives. So they're more in, um, in kind of a fight or flight state where they're feeling anxious and they feel like they have a lot to do and they're always in a rush and they're sort of pushing the candle at both ends. And I feel like perhaps thyroid disease is something that comes into their lives that teaches them how to slow down a bit um, because they're not ones that would slow down on their own. And so these are, these are some of the patterns that I've seen in um, just, just in my work with people. Okay. And what about the correlation between, you spoke about stress. So what are some of the techniques that are your favorite techniques that you teach your patients to kind of, you know, go easy, take it easy, manage chronic stress? What are some of your favorite tools and techniques that you use even for yourself? If you feel stressed out or wound up, how do you relax? What are your mechanisms to kind of manage stress? There's so many good ones. I'll start with some of the ones that are my favorites. So I would take an Epsom salt bath. If I've had a really tough day, I would get into a bathtub with warm water. That's very soothing and relaxing reminds us of being in our mother's womb. I would add some Epsom salts. These have a high dose of magnesium in them. And so just soaking them in can naturally restore our magnesium receptors Um, we burn through magnesium where we're under a lot of stress and that's going to help us produce some of our calming neurotransmitters, including GABA. So people, you know, generally you spend a little bit of time in that Epsom salt bath and, and your joint pains go away, your cramps go away. You feel less anxious, less stressed. And if you're having trouble falling asleep, generally, this is going to help you sleep a bit better at nighttime. I love going for walks. Anytime I have something on my mind and I feel very stressed out, getting movement into your body can be a really big game changer. So that bilateral movement of, you know, your, your legs moving, this part of your brain's activated, that's going to help you process various stressors and perhaps think of them from a different perspective. And then I also love, um, doing advanced therapies too, for some people when that's necessary, So I personally have done a lot of EMDR work. This is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is done generally with a therapist where you go through some past triggering events or traumas. Many of us have them. And then you rewire your brain for a healthier response. And then I also love neurofeedback or biofeedback where you essentially can train your brain to respond in a much more calm fashion. And I, I know you're in India. So I feel like I don't, I don't know if I should like yoga is, is something that's been very life-changing for me. And I know in the, 
United States, we have a different experience with it. Um, but for many people, yoga and meditation can also be um, really something that puts them at ease and helps to ground them. So do you have a yoga practice? Do you have a flow that you practice in yoga? I mean, I, I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy it. So I would say vinyasa is, is the type of yoga that I enjoy. Um, I am not an expert by any means, but I really find that just taking the time to do that a few times a week um, just helps the my stress just when I was going through any stressful time, this is something that was just very nourishing and healing. I actually did um, like a hundred days of yoga as part of my healing journey with Hashimoto's in the early stages of getting into remission. Thank you for sharing that. Doctor, your take on exercise, there are two schools of thought that, you know, women or men who have a Hashimoto's thyroid, they shouldn't do high interval training. They shouldn't do a very, very aggressive kind of a training. And some people just say that we don't care about it. We're going to go on doing it. We don't have enough of data to see which model it supports. And I also respect bio-individuality and I know people are different, but we do tend to see more data of women and men who are involved in high interval training. And it kind of impacts their thyroid more when they are patients of thyroid. And when we reduce their workout intensity and slowly move them from like, gradual to intermediate and we see their you know their levels start to improve and once they're completely down or possibly off they can eventually get back into it because by then they've made lifestyle changes they're sleeping better they're eating better so i think their body is prepared for that what are some of your observations and advice on exercise when you have a hashimoto's or an underactive or an overactive thyroid it's one of those uh, recommendations where people say just eat more or eat less and exercise more. And it's a bit short-sighted because like you said, you do have to consider bio-individuality. In my experience, the type of exercise is going to be heavily dependent on the state of your adrenal health. So a person that has low functioning adrenals, low cortisol, they're like the chronic fatigue person can barely get out of bed. They're achy. They, um, if they do, you know, aerobic exercise, they may actually feel worse with it. That's the kind of person that I'm telling to back down off of exercise and doing a bit more building things, some gentle restorative exercise, maybe a little bit of weightlifting. We're not, we're not doing um, bench presses yet with this person. Um, whereas a person that maybe has more overactive adrenals, they might, they might benefit from a little bit more of that aerobic exercise. My rule of thumb for people is do what makes you feel better. If you have done some exercise and you feel like you need to rest for three days after doing that exercise, that's probably too much exercise for you or the wrong type of exercise. So we're aiming at the type of exercise that will, you might feel it in your body, but you should be able to say, okay, I could probably do that whole routine start to finish once more. I still have enough energy for that. And you build up, right? So maybe for now, that's just a few squats or a walk around the block or some gentle restorative yoga. And you build from that, right? We don't expect somebody to do marathon training um, just right off the bat. So that, that's been my experience. Too much exercise can actually be inflammatory for some people and it can dysregulate their thyroid and adrenal function where their body essentially gets the message that, hey, I'm I'm in a famine or I'm being chased all the time. We need to slow down metabolism, conserve resources. So it's um sometimes it, it's not very obvious because people just think they need to exercise more to lose weight or have more energy. And that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Doctor, what's an I what's a day in your life? What does a day in your life look look like? You know, tell me a little bit about your routine in terms of you know what you do to maintain yourself, your favorite exercises, and you maintain that beautiful glow that you have. I would love to hear about your lifestyle. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I have a five-year-old son. And so I typically wake up in the morning and I will try to get a little bit of sunshine if it's light outside, If and then I'll start getting him ready for his day. And part of that, I'll make um, something healthy for him, generally eggs, and sometimes a smoothie. And so I'll eat that same thing myself. So I try to cook for him what I would eat myself, what I think is very nourishing. And then um, once he's off at school, I might go for a walk 
or sit outside just to really get some really good light energy and get really balanced and centered before I start my workday so that I'm not in a constantly reactive state. I do focus a lot on healthy, nourishing meals. So I typically will eat a salad or um, some kind of a soup for lunch with plenty of protein and fats. I'll have something like avocado or coconut milk. And then with dinner, we typically cook something as a family. I love eating um, salmon and I love eating vegetables. Sometimes we'll, you know, my husband also loves to cook as well. So we get very creative with, with what we make. We uh, primarily eat um, a gluten-free, dairy-free diet in our home. So we have stuck to that for over 10 years. And I feel that this serves me really, really well. I know others might have different individualities. And I really, you know, if, if I'm going through a lot of stress, if I have a book launch or some a lot going on, then I'll really focus on, I'll take an Epsom salt bath for an hour each day to make sure that I am really soaking in that magnesium and getting myself ready for a good night's sleep. And then every few months I'll do a liver reset. So I'll do four sessions of sauna twice a week, and then I'll take some liver supporting nutrients. Um, glycine is excellent for the skin. Zinc is excellent, excellent for the skin. And really it's, it's been 10 plus years since I've gotten myself into remission. So now it's more about maintenance. And a big part of that is that calming that stress response and making sure that I am, you know, not, not finding sources of too much stress in my life and, and staying in balance. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I think it's also confirmed my whole thought process on the fact that if you have a cleaner liver, it just shows up on your face. And I think that's that's amazing because we see a lot of our, you know, stage three fatty liver when they move to a stage two or a stage two or one, their skin starts to change. You know, as the stage moves further into progression towards a cirrhotic liver, they start to get this pigmentation and this dark color. But as they make changes and start moving in the opposite direction, their skin absolutely clears up. So I think I think that's a great message. A clean liver also reflects on your skin, actually every part of the body, right? Oh my gosh, absolutely. But it's so visible as part of your skin. And I know people going through my liver reset program, that's one of the things that they'll say is my skin cleared up and all of a sudden I look younger and they're not doing any anti-aging advanced techniques or, you know, Botox or surgery or anything like that, but you do get a much nicer, healthier glow once you get the process, the, the liver toxins out. And I just love utilizing that just glycine, um, is a, is a fantastic amino acid. So I have that as part of the liver support that can be a big game changer for a lot of skin issues. Doctor, which of your books cover the liver reset? protocol? My book, the, yeah, my book, the Hashimoto's protocol, it starts off with the liver reset. It's a two week program. Oh, so that's the same one for the uh, anti-TPO and the uh, ATG. It's the same. Okay. Okay. I know that one. So I'm going to put that name of the book in the show notes so people can get a copy, get a copy of that book, because I know I'm going to be flooded with messages tomorrow. What's the protocol? What's the protocol? And I'll, I know which book to guide them towards. So yeah, that's helpful. What are you working on now, doctor? Which book is next? What are you currently working on? So I just released a book called The Adrenal Transformation Protocol that came out in April of this year. And that's really focused on balancing the stress response. So a lot of these beautiful techniques mm -hmm. so that it just becomes a part of your routine and that you can come from a really balanced place for most of your life. And this is really focused on getting rid of the fatigue and the brain fog and giving people um, an opportunity to sleep really well at night. So that came out. I just released a liver reset program that's online. So this is um, a self-paced program that people can take that takes them through every step of the liver reset. And then the next book, which is due in a few months is actually on gut health. Oh, wow. Okay. So you've covered every part of your whole protocol in subjects and literally breaking them down into different books. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I feel like it's been amazing to see the impact um, just on people with Hashimoto's going through those different elements. But then I've had people come to me with other health conditions that said, I don't have Hashimoto's, 
but can you help me? And I'd be like, no. And then they'd be like, but nobody else can help me. I'd be like, okay, let's see what we can do. And a lot of the same things do apply to eczema and skin issues, inflammatory bowel, irritable bowel syndrome, um, insomnia, sleep issues, anxiety, some of the mental health issues. And so I really wanted to create um, streamlined resources for other people that might be struggling. So it works for people with thyroid issues. And it's, you know, it's, it's been a journey of mine in the last five years, just very awakening how a lot of the same things that work for people with um, Hashimoto's and autoimmunity work for for people with other conditions as well. Yeah, no, I can vouch for that because I've used your protocol for every autoimmune condition. In fact, it's the fundamental. We've just tweaked it. If there's a skin issue, of course, if it's an eczema, we have topical treatments in addition to, but everything else, the fundamentals have been according to what I've learned from you. And we touch would have testimonials too. We have recoveries, we have remissions. So absolutely, yes. I think it's the fundamentals that you've cracked on that work brilliantly. So we see that happening. I use that protocol all the time and it's, I'm grateful to you for that. Really appreciate it. I love that. I'm grateful for you doing the work that you're doing and helping so many people heal from conditions that people maybe didn't know were healable or people don't believe can even be healed, right? No, I, I think today it's a very special moment for me. I never knew, I never ever thought I would talk to you because I never thought I would get into podcasts. And I have Mugda from my team over here. She reached out to you. She got you. And I said, I can't believe this. I'm successful at what I do in the auto, autoimmune space today of my practice, which is integrative and lifestyle medicine. It's because I learned that from you. I didn't learn it from any other books. I didn't learn it from my nutritional curriculum. I'm not putting it down. But the fact is, it opened my eyes to believe that, hey, there can be something different. There could be a different way. And today, people come to us with that hope that, hey, Luke, we heard that this person's off thyroid medication, that I don't even know if I have a Hashimoto's and we're able to add that value to their life. So I actually owe that to you, all of that to you. So thank you for that again. Supplements. Supplements. I, I love your brand name, Brutecology, right? I just love the name of that. And uh, I, think, I think it's fascinating for me to speak to someone in your field of being a pharmacist with supplements right now, like I would trust the brand right up front if it's coming from a pharmacist, especially. I would love to know your whole thought process about this whole brand and you know how you're building this. Because again, supplements, it's a whole, you have a lot of doctors today and people saying, no, supplements will make you worse. And then you have good quality supplements. And we've seen how great supplements can actually support the body. And people who abuse supplements only because it's marketed well and it sells well and they don't really need it, it can cause problems. I would love for you to guide us on supplements and how should we look at it, right? From quality to do we really need it or because it sounds good, it's anti-inflammatory, I should be taking astaxanthin or, you know, all of these things just like that. I would love for you to educate us on this. So going through pharmacy school, I remember I had a class on integrative medicine and it was very much like very negative about how things just don't work. Right. And I was very disenchanted by that. And then just working in various drugstores during my internships, I saw some of the products, um, the supplement companies that were on the shelves. And what I've come to realize with doing a lot of the research and testing on myself and published medical research and just working with a lot of clients, people over the last um, decade, is that not all supplements are created equally, right? And so what you might have on a shelf in a drugstore might say something on the label that it has magnesium, but is it the right kind of magnesium? And is it the right amount of magnesium that's actually in that capsule? And is it actually magnesium? It could be something completely different within that capsule. And there could also be toxic contaminants. So a lot of the supplement industry, unfortunately, is not very regulated. And so you might get a supplement that says one thing on the label and there's something completely different that could be um, absolute, do absolutely nothing for you or it could be harmful, right? And I um, have found that companies that do third-party testing and a lot of quality work on their ingredients and are really mindful of the fillers that they utilize and are mindful of, their, of the ingredients that they put in 
these are the, the supplement companies that you want to utilize as a practitioner, as a consumer, because if the bottle says it has magnesium citrate in it, then you can be confident in that it does have magnesium citrate and whatever additives are listed on the label, that's what's going to be in there, that it says a specific dosage, you're going to get that specific dosage. So I really recommend working with companies that do that third-party testing and have a quality component. And unfortunately, majority of the brands don't. And you'd be surprised at some of the consumer reports that are done with finding toxins or completely different ingredients in the supplements. And so that that's kind of the first layer is making sure you choose a very high quality supplement company. And then looking at yourself, how do you know if you need a certain supplement? I mean, there's so many different ones out there. They all have remarkable benefits, right? But if you're not, you know, you're not really the right person to use them, then you're not going to have the benefits. I go through and I have a newsletter, um, thyroidpharmacist.com. And I talk about, usually I pick one supplement a month to cover and I talk about what are the benefits and who might benefit from them and how to take them, who should not take them. A lot of times, if somebody's taking blood thinning medications, probably not the best time to utilize supplements, right? And we go through just really educating a person about, is this going to be a right fit for you? Then the next step is when you try the supplements, I recommend trying just one supplement at a time and seeing how you do with it for three to five days. For many supplements, three to five days is going to be enough for you to see a difference, right? If you see an improvement in those three to five days, then that's going to be a good indication that this supplement will work for you. If you feel worse within those three to five days, that's going to be an indication that supplement may not be a good fit for you. And unfortunately, I see so many people that just get started on 30 different supplements. And I'll say, what are you taking this for? They're like, uh, I don't even know. And then I'll say, well, is it helping? And they'll say, I don't know. <laughs> right. So we want to be really connected with that particular supplement. Like, does it work for your body? Right. And you're not going to get that when you start 30 things at once, you're going to get that feedback from your body when you start one thing at a time. I think that's helpful. So this brand that you've started right now will make specific supplements for specific problems or gaps. I do focus. There's a lot of, um, I, I do focus on like the liver, the adrenals and the guts. So there, there are different categories that focus on that. I have a kit for liver support, for example, and then a kit for adrenal support. So if you identify with some of the issues or some of those symptoms, that's going to help you. And then there are other things like selenium and myo inositol that I'll, that I'll choose based on the research and experience in people with Hashimoto's. So selenium, myo inositol, if you have insulin resistance, and if you have high thyroid antibodies, if you have anxiety, hair loss, blood sugar swings, generally that might be something that could be very helpful for you. And I, I, I try to outline that for people to, to really educate themselves, to take charge of their own health and be really connected with their bodies to understand what might be a good fit for them. And not, not everybody needs, you know, I have over 20 supplements in my product line and no, not everybody needs every single supplement, right? So there's um, there's different supplements. I try to focus on one every month for people to be able to understand what would be best in their bodies. It's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, doctor, if you have, if you had the whole world listening to you right now, what is the message you would like to leave with people? You know, just in your practice, you're an author, you've written books with intention. You see so many different patients, you know, what's going wrong in culture and lifestyle and everything. What's that message you would leave for people? Really my big message is to be kind to yourself and start with that love and kindness and caring for yourself, invest in your own health. And I feel like if you just do that for yourself, you're going to show up in the world as a better person. Um, that kindness to your own self translates into kindness to others and being supportive of others as well. well that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But thank you for sending the message to us that uh, Hashimoto's can be put into remission proving it to us by, you know, running that whole theory on yourself and then sharing it with the world. And the fact that thyroid can actually literally be reversed. People are off their medications today. 
So I think that's a game changer because you change people's mindsets. And only when they changed and believed that it could be done, would, were they willing to put an action and you know effort to make those changes and they got the results. So I think I think I think that's a legacy that you've literally left behind through that book that I read many, many years ago. So thank you so much for being on our show, Doctor. This has been so amazing. And I'm sure everyone watching this, you know, especially those with thyroid and Hashimoto's now have the hope, you know, to uh, take this journey forward and make the changes because it can be done. So thank you so much for your time and for being with us on this show today. Thank you so much for having me and for the work that you're doing, Luke. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, I think that was amazing. That was amazing. You're Thank such you. a fantastic host. Thank you so much. What a what an honor and pleasure to be here with you. Really, we're going to have your books put up in the show notes and we're going to look up at your liver pro program as well. I'm sure a lot of people would want to follow it online and stuff. So we will have that put up. And Dr. D, you consult as well because we're going to get these kind of questions. I just wanted to know if you do consults, do you still see patients? And if they had to reach out to you, what's the best way they can reach out to you? Do you have like a contact or is it through your website? Because we would love to put that up. You know, we're integrative medicine. So whenever people come to us, like, you know, everyone who's been on our show, whether it's an oncologist or endocrinologist, I mean, people like to reach out to them. So how do people reach out to you? Through my website, thyroidpharmacist.com. So that's, we have a contact form on there and people can mm -hmm. subscribe to the newsletter. Um, I do have my programs that come out every, every few months. One of the Hashimoto self-management program I'll have an option that allows yeah. for consults as well coming up in a um, few more months. I typically do, will do enrollments every few months for that. Okay, awesome. So we'll have that put up as well. And, and which part of the United States are you in? Currently, I'm in Austin, Texas, and part of the year in Los Angeles. Have you, have you been to the U.S.? Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm there almost every month and a half. So I work with patients at Sloan's and Mount Sinai. So New York's every 45 days. Yeah, it's been like this for eight years now. So yeah, okay. I've not been to Austin, Texas, but I may because I have an invite from the University of Arizona. So uh, the Dr. Andrew and Andrew Whale Integrative uh, Platform. Yeah, so I have an invite to come over there to the university. So I don't know, maybe at some point, see how that works. Have you ever been to India? I've never been to India. One of my good friends got married in India, and I'm I'm so sad that I didn't get I didn't get a chance to go to her wedding. So it, I would love to come sometime. All right. Hopefully, it's my dream to have this this integrative wellness festival. You know, once in two years, and get down speakers like yourself. You know, so I'll reach out to you if that ever happens. I believe it's going to happen. I just need to put a little more effort behind the intention. And I would love for you to come over to India because your knowledge is thyroid is huge in our country, huge. And, you know, I think your method is so simple. And if people just follow that, you know, a lot of them can change their lives. So looking forward to that. But thank you once again. Thank you for being so generous with your information and everything else. Thank you so much for having me. It would be an honor to be part of your conference. So I'll be looking out for that. Take care, doctor. Thank you so much again. Yeah, bye-bye. See you. Stay tuned for more. We're going to continue our journey, learning, sharing, and evolving.